Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome or welcome back to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you have decided to join us today. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, we heard from Pastor McLaughlin as he continues his series, The Six Foundation Stones to Build On. He focuses on purity and dating in this episode, and we hope you enjoy. We have been studying on Wednesday nights six foundation stones to build on. These are character stones that we are emphasizing, and we are on character stone number four, and we are dealing with purity. Within the subject of purity, we began last week with the purity in marriage. Tonight will be the purity in dating. And then next week will be purity in technology. And, and, and after that will be the corresponding competency, which is transparency. And so what's coming in a practical manner is to be transparent in all of your dealings. And, and while there's a little bit of overlapping because transparency can be considered a character or characteristic, um, there is also a skill behind or a competency behind being a transparent individual. Or you can even move it further out and say being a transparent family. And then you can even move it further out and say, be, uh, say being a transparent church. When visitors come to our church, they pick up very quickly if we're fake or not. Like they'll pick up very quickly. In fact, there was a family who joined our church and they said, we watched you guys online for several months. And this is what they said to me. They said, we chose Calvary because of what was on the platform. Um, what was on the platform every service when we watched online told us a lot about the leadership at Calvary and told us about the church at Calvary. And, and by virtue of what was on the platform, they made their decision. They visited a couple of times, and then they solidified their decision. What I'm saying is people know if we're truly transparent and real or not, and it's critically important. However, tonight, tonight, hey, Noah, you been talking to any girls? Don't answer that, man. That is a loaded question. You know, a lot of times I ask a question. I say, that's not a loaded question. I don't have to get paranoid. That's a loaded question, man. Everybody's listening right now. In fact, just stand there and just go. Davis. You look sharp tonight, man. Song of Solomon. Chapter 8. Verse 4. We're talking about purity and dating. <clears throat> what I'd like to talk about tonight, now typically when you talk about purity and dating, normally the mind immediately drifts to physical purity. And absolutely that, that is true, and that is the case. There, there must be physical purity in dating. And however... What I'd like to do tonight is just talk about looking through the lens of purity when you're selecting someone to even consider dating. And then one day when you arrive at that place where you want to get engaged with someone and, and then you arrive at that place that you want to uh, propose to that individual. And so more than or beyond just physical purity, I want to talk in a general sense tonight about purity in the selection of who you even choose to date and how you should view that. And, and primarily, I'll talk about three steps to developing a godly relationship. And I will also talk tonight about the three bonds of a relationship. I am going to reflect a little bit on five marriages that work against biblical foundations. Because this is so somebody said, well, Brother McLaughlin, why in the world would you talk about marriages if we're talking about dating and those who are dating are not married? 
This is why we want preventive maintenance more than we want emergency teaching. And so if you can see five marriages that work against a biblical foundation, you can automatically say to yourself, that's not the kind of marriage I want. So if this person reflects one of these five negative marriages, then I don't even want to begin talking to a person like that because I don't want to get emotionally um, emotionally bonded to that individual so that then my judgment is skewed. So let's pray together and then I'll read the scripture and you can be seated. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for your hand on each of us. And I pray, God, tonight, we're going to be talking about a subject, Lord, that will make or break a person's ministry, make or break a person's future, make or break their life. It's choosing someone to date. Ultimately, they should not date someone they don't think they could marry. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to really speak to us on the purity of dating and help us all, and especially those that are, that are single, to see through the lens of purity in selecting a mate. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated, and I'll read the text to you. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4. I charge you, this is the New King James Version. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. So we ask the question, what is love? You meet someone, you know, you know how it is, man, you're young, you're teenager, you're a young adult, you meet someone and you think that they're just absolutely gorgeous or you think that he's just absolutely handsome and their physical characteristics and their personality creates enough electrical shock to trigger your love alert. And all of a sudden you're in this room and you're looking over at her and you realize she just looks at you and you make eye contact with one another and all of a sudden your heart just does this weird thing and it just starts going boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden your hands get sweaty and you go, oh my Lord, she's looking at me, I'm looking at her. Oh, hey man, what's going on? Yeah, Dude, she's looking at me right now. Like, is she She's still looking. Look, don't look fast, but just look over there. She's still checking me out. Yeah, I mean, she was just checking me out, man. I know she was. The whole time she was looking beyond you at your friend. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> what is love? Is that love? Is that electrical feeling love? The Apostle Paul exalted love. When he concluded in the last scene of human drama that only three characteristics remain. Faith, hope, and love. And then he said, the greatest of these is love. The scripture says, for God so loved the world, so love ushered in salvation for the world. We say, oh, I love Mexican food. Or, I love barbecue. And, you know, we speak of activities. I love to fish. Man, I love going hunting. I I really love going skiing. It's incredible. And then we'll say that we love objects. Man, I love that car. I, I, I love those clothes. My wife and Jenna, my wife is speaking in California, of all places, Hollister, California, which just down from Hollister, brother and sister Hurst, pastor there, used to years ago pastor in Texarkana. Um, she's doing a ladies' conference for sister Hurst. Well, it just so happens that right down from there is Carmel and Monterey. And so they're in Carmel right now. And so they send me this picture. And what is it? Is it a Tory? What's the purse? What? Tory Burch, not Burke. What is it, Rachel? Help me. Is it Tory Burke? Is it Birch or Burke? Birch. Okay, so they send me this purse that's a Tory Bark. Well, okay, so we just got another dog. So we have Sheba and Sonny. 
And they think that that's, they sent me this picture and they're like, we think that Sheba or Sonny needs this Tory Bark purse. Why? Because they love their dog. They think that's cool to get some. So God so loved the world. I love Italian food. I love fishing. I love our dogs, but I don't love our dogs enough to buy a Tory Bark purse. Love our cat. We don't have a cat. I don't love cats, but anyway. I love my mom. I love my dad. Love my sister. I love my brother. We use love for an explanation of behavior. The world tells us that love is beyond our control. A young couple that dates and they fall in love. This is what they say. Oh, Mark, I think I'm falling in love. Or, listen, we've been dating for two hours. We are madly in love with one another. Why is this love in these teenage or young adult years referred to or compared to a pit? I'm falling in love. Why is it compared to a mental disorder? I'm madly in love. No doubt I've seen some people that were mental when they thought they were in love. So I can kind of a little bit buy into that one. A man is involved in adultery. And he calls it love. The Bible and the preacher call it sin. The wife of an alcoholic picks up the broken pieces and always makes excuses for her husband. And she calls her behavior love. But the family therapist calls it codependency. The parent indulging in the child's every wish calls it love. But the family therapist calls it irresponsible parenting. Love can be very confusing. Song of Solomon said, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up love or awaken until it pleases. The New Living Translation says it this way. <clears throat> Promise me, O women of Jerusalem. This was friends. This was a Shunammite woman. Shunammite woman was speaking in the Song of Solomon to all of her friends. And so the Shulamite woman is speaking to all of her friends saying, Hey, ladies, listen, I know we enjoy talking about all of this stuff, but please, please, in all of our friendship and all of our talking about dating and marriage and, and, and the love alert and, and the electric feelings and all of that, please, O women of Jerusalem, don't awaken love until the time is right. Until the time is right. This is a warning to avoid entering a romantic relationship too soon. It's an alarm to warn you to not seek a relationship just because everybody else is dating right now. It's like, dude, everybody's dating. You better find a chicky babe quick. He's like, hey, who are you talking to? Oh, I don't know. Well, she's talking to him, and he's talking to her, and they're all talking to Man, you can't be without a date right now. You can't. You've got to find somebody to date. Don't be alone right now. Don't awaken until the right time. The scripture is an issue of timing, or this scripture is an issue of timing, attitude, and purity. Or as one man said, he said, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Or let me say it this way, don't shop for what you cannot afford. If you're 12 years old, just because you think she's pretty, you cannot afford marriage. If you're working at Mickey D's and she has a Perry's lifestyle, Perry Steakhouse lifestyle. Mickey D's isn't going to do it. Don't shop if you can't afford. And if you have a Perry's lifestyle, come back down to Mickey D's. <laughs> or at least Schlotzky's. 
On the other hand, and this is it. On the other hand, one of the most beautiful things to watch is when the rose blossoms at the right season. And when you see a couple that dates and they do it the right way and they honor God and they honor their mom and dad and they honor spiritual authority in their life and you watch them and all of a sudden God blesses that young man and gives him a better job or God blesses him with some type of scholarship so that he's pursuing an academic education to be a good provider later and I'm not making a blanket statement and I'm certainly not saying that everybody has to have a degree to be a good provider but what I am saying is that sometimes when you are pursuing that you are pursuing that God can bless you greatly because the right thing at the right time is the right thing and God goes into giving you favor and blessing and then when you stand in the church or at a wedding venue and you know that that couple has done it right I had a conversation today with Chad Mooney Chad and I talked for about 30 minutes on the phone today and I'm just gonna tell you Chad and Danelle still to this day Chad and Danelle did it right they're an incredible couple who did it right it was easy to ask God to sanction them together as one flesh because they did it right. When that rose, when that, when that rose, you don't have to pull the petals back. Listen, if you've got to pull the petals back, that relationship isn't right. If that, if that rose bud has not budded and it hasn't flourished and you've got to rush up to a relationship and say, well, we're in a hurry, and you're pulling petals off, you're pulling petals off. That is, if you've got to rush something, that's not the will of God. But when you wait on the Lord for his season, Philip and Kinsey, beautiful model and example of waiting for God's timing. God has tremendously blessed Philip recently, blessing Kinsey. God is doing incredible things. There's nothing more beautiful than watching a couple date, do it the right way, and God blesses them tremendously. So let's talk about three steps to develop a godly relationship. Number one, ready? Number one, Matthew, say a casual friendship. Say it. Hmm? Dude, we're talking about dating and the cat got your tongue. Right now is the moment to shine. Mm. If you've ever been a smooth operator, right now it's time to be a smooth operator. You know, all you guys should be up, shoulders squared back right now. I mean, it's smooth operator time right now. <laughs> okay, so step number one, casual, Nolan said casual, friendship. Jameson, casual, casual. Let's say it like a, it's casual, pastor, it's just casual. We're just talking casually. It's just casual. Noah. Uh-huh. Caught you, didn't I? Did you see him? Did y'all see him? I looked over there. Man, I'm, he's, he's laughing. He's laughing at him. Yeah, pastor's getting you. I looked and he was cracking up. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Casual friendship is a relationship about more <clears throat> than just the two of you. This is where functional communication occurs. As functional communication occurs, you're going to discover similar interests with that person as well as likes and dislikes. Think about it. This is the place where you discover your shared versus your unshared values. You should be learning these things early on in this relationship before there is a deep emotional bond that happens because once that emotional bond happens, it becomes blinding. You know, say, say love is blinding. Well, literally, the emotions become so strong that you can have someone with a bullhorn. You know what a bullhorn is? You know, it's when the coach on the field and he's got the bullhorn and he's screaming through it. Somebody can have a bullhorn and put it up to your ear and say, this is a wrong relationship. And you'll find a hundred reasons why it's a right relationship. Because chemically, even in your body, you have already developed this bond in this relationship. And it's hard for you to see or hear anything different than what you should be hearing or seeing. And so, this is functional communication. Based on the chemistry of the conversation, you're going to determine to move deeper or to move on. Some things that you need to find out before 
moving on from this casual friendship or moving further into it. There are five marriages that work against a biblical foundation. And they're worth learning about even when you're this young. So that you don't step into a marriage that works against the Bible. And you don't even know you're stepping into it. Look, if you didn't have a good model at home, like I did not have a good model at home. Single parent home, mom married and divorced three times, alcoholic. I did not have a good example in front of me to say, this is the way to have a godly marriage. Did not have. I had to do tons of reading. I had to do tons of praying. I had to. I had to ask God to totally transform my life. And if you ask my wife, she's not here to say anything right now. But if you were to ask her, she would tell you Carl McLaughlin is still a work in progress. She would say, "I'm doing a good job on him, and I'm working on him." But he's still got some rough edges. I'm working off of. Yes, ma'am. Number one. I'm going to describe five, but I'll elaborate on two. Number one, the make-believe marriage. This is a marriage which lacks honest and intimate communication. This marriage functions on a surface level, and this marriage has learned to put on a very good show in front of other people. They are a make-believe marriage, and they only talk about surface issues, and they don't know how to face true, deep, intimate issues, break them open without creating substitute or side issues so that they deal with the, 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 the least difficult issue, and they don't have to deal with the harder issue. And so they leave these harder issues alone. There's a problem in that because typically then all the attention is focused on the kiddos. Well, as soon as we get the kiddos out of the house, guess what comes back to the surface? All of those issues that were ignored because we just made believe and let the church know we had it all together until these things bubble up years later and we're looking at one another and we can't live through our kids anymore. So now we've got to look at each other in the eye and resolve some issues and it may be we're going to resolve these issues by not resolving them and bailing on one another. This, you don't want to get into that. Okay, so Mark, listen to me. So when that, when, when, man, when you feel that electricity shoot through you and, and her blue eyes are looking at you. Oh, she doesn't have blue eyes? What color are they? Brown. No. Like when I said that, you went no. And so I thought you meant they weren't blue. So what color are they? They're green. They're not green? <laughs> Baba, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. You know I'm not going to let you get out of that one. <laughs> he told me, he said, just keep going, Pastor. Keep going, Pastor. You're meddling. You're meddling. Keep going, Pastor. When that electricity shoots through you, you don't want to get blind and enter into a make-believe marriage. Number two, the maladjusted marriage. A marriage in which major difficulties are ignored and both spouses are too stubborn and they are unwilling to change to improve the marriage. This is a maladjusted marriage. They're unwilling to change. Number three, the misfocused marriage. This is a marriage burdened with financial difficulties and disagreements on the way money is spent and allocated. This is a misfocused focused marriage. One of the first things you, girls, listen, and guys, and guys, one of the first things you want to do when you're dating someone and you're in that casual, ask them what they believe about tithing. Ask them what they believe about giving. Because if they do not believe in faithfully paying their tithes and giving in offerings, you want to, you want to veer away from that person because they have control issues and it's not a money issue, it's a heart issue. And so if they love, if they have a love the money or a love for money, that the Bible says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 that they will fall into many hurtful lusts and they will destroy many people around them. And 
This is the thing, is that it's not a money issue, it's a coveting or a lustful issue. They have an appetite for other things, and so they see that money, but that money, they don't trust God enough to bless it and double it, and so they'll spend it over here, and they'll rob God, they'll shut the windows of heaven, then things in the marriage will start drying up, they'll start having financial problems, and they'll say, well, what's our tithing record? Well, it looks ugly. Well, that's why you'll feel like the marriage starts to get ugly. And so this is a misaligned. Uh, excuse me, that's a misfocus. Misaligned, number four, misaligned marriage. This is a marriage in which the partners fail to recognize or respond to their God-given roles. This is a marriage that's turned upside down on its head. The woman's being the man and the man's being the woman. Let's talk about it. And this, this is where I'll elaborate just a little bit. Okay? So the misaligned marriage, failure of the husband to provide responsible leadership for his wife and children. A few bullet points. He is not a spiritual leader. He is not financially responsible. He refuses to make decisions. He does not seek to solve problems. Doesn't even know how to solve problems. So he just constantly kicks the can down the road, kicks the can down the road, kicks the can down the road. All of a sudden, all the problems are on layers and they have stacked up. And then, and then he just, he doesn't know how to be a leader. And so he expects her to solve all the problems. So while I'm talking right now, girls, if you're even considering dating someone, guys, if you're considering dating someone, think about these. These are red flags in a relationship. He doesn't seek to solve problems. He would neglect his wife emotionally. He always gives in to her demands. He is not honest about his desires and his needs, and he's always, always caving in. Failure of the wife to display a submissive spirit. She does not have a gentle spirit. She's got a rude, obnoxious spirit. She tries to control her husband. She becomes involved in power struggles all the time. She stubbornly holds to her opinions and refuses to follow him as her covering. She, she's violated the authority of Scripture. And she has usurped his authority and so is outside of the biblical covering, even headship with Christ Jesus, because she's not submissive to her head. Now, part of being submissive to a head is that that man is leading and he's following Jesus Christ, so it makes it real easy for her to submit to that kind of leadership and headship. This is a marriage, this is a marriage that is misaligned. Then ultimately what happens, she withdraws from him emotionally. She just totally, when they're misaligned, she just withdraws from him emotionally. So those three bonds that I was talking about and we'll talk about more, the emotional, the physical, and the spiritual bond. In this marriage, all three are starved. None of those needs are being met. So consequently what happens in the misaligned marriage is that that person will seek those three relationships, those three bonds with someone else. If you won't connect with me emotionally, my emotional needs are not going away, so I'll go connect with someone else emotionally. And, and then from the emotional bond becomes a physical bond, and then there's ultimately a spiritual bond. That's why we talked about severing the unholy spirits in this pre-adultery phase. We talked about that last week. You working with me? Okay, we're talking about dating and purity. This is just, just, just some pictures of marriages you want, don't want to get into. You want to avoid these things. God's order is for the husband to feel significant through providing for his family and receiving proper respect and love of his wife and from his wife. He feels her need for security through love, through acceptance, sensitivity to her needs, and to unselfishly commit to the marriage. God's order is for the wife to be in submission to her husband and follow his leadership as he follows Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 sheds biblical light on this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And, and I, I'm not going to stop and try to teach on each one of these points, but just kind of fill, fill in the gap here. If you've heard my teaching a lot, there's a great responsibility on that husband. Great responsibility. That's why when man was created first, God made that man to be the initiator. So the man's not supposed to wait for the woman to initiate. Uh, the man is supposed to initiate. <clears throat> and so then she submits based on his leadership. For the husband, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. As also Christ is the head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, 
So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Ladies, look at that. Look at verse 25. Husband, love your wives just as what? Jesus Christ is in love with the church. If your husband doesn't love the church, if your husband doesn't love coming to church, if your husband doesn't fall in love with the move of God in church, you don't want to marry, or the guy you're dating, you don't want to marry that person. If they can't be faithful on Wednesday and Sunday before marriage, your marriage is not going to have a power over them that Jesus doesn't even have power over them. If Jesus can't get them here on Wednesday, you're not going to get them here on Wednesday. That's a red flag, and you better run as fast as you can and find a man. Find a man that will get here every time the church doors are open. I was reading uh, Proverbs. I'm, I'm going through the book of Proverbs in my morning devotion. I think it was in, I read chapter 22 and 23 today. I believe it was in chapter 22. It was pretty interesting in the, in the New King James Version. It said, it said to men, it said, don't work overtime to become rich. <laughs> think about that. Think about that. In another passage, it says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Make sure in everything that you do. This is what I've learned in living for God. Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You put him first. You put the house of God first. I promise you, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he will make sure that you are taken care of. You try to go get a second and third job so that you can get rich. You cut out your tithing. Get ready for God to cut a hole in your pocket. And everything keeps draining out. You'll never have enough. But when you put God first, when you're in a marriage where the husband and wife are putting God first, and there's not a struggle of skip church to go make money. No, don't skip church. Get in the house of God. Trust God that he's going to provide. And let there be peace and harmony. Better to have peace and harmony in that marriage than to have more money and be quarreling and fighting all of the time. Number five. <clears throat> this is an important one. You ready? This is an important one. You ready, Mark? You ready? This is an important one. This one is called the mixed up marriage, Eric. The mixed up marriage, they're, they're mixed up, man. You don't want to learn from these cats. They're mixed up. It's a marriage where strongly held values are in conflict. First of all, religious beliefs. One in the marriage says, we need to attend church every time the doors are open. But the other one says, you know, church attendance isn't really that important. That's a mixed up marriage. Parenting responsibilities. Children should be taught to obey. And if they don't obey, they need to be disciplined. Children need to be given freedom, total freedom. Just let them have an open mind and figure it out themselves and do what they want to do. That's a mixed up marriage. Me media convictions. Hollywood and sinful media will not come into our home and will not influence our home. When the other one in the marriage says, yeah, there's nothing wrong with Hollywood coming into this house. The kids need to learn how to handle small doses of sin in a controlled environment in our house. And so there's always the battle between mom and dad and media. And kids are smart and you know which one will compromise. And so you'll go to one and say, can we watch this? And they'll say, no. But you know the other one has a little bit weaker conviction on it. And so you go to the other one and you say, can we watch this? And they'll say, well, I don't mind, but go see what your dad thinks. You do that and you go, ha ha, won that battle. Because now all of a sudden, instead of the focus being on the kid, not watching that media, it's, let mom and dad get into a fight about all of this. And those kids learn that early on. When you marry someone and it's a mixed up marriage, that battle happens 
all of the time. All of the time. Friendship choices. You know, when you first get married, man, your friends are a bad influence on us. What do you mean my friends are a bad influence on us? Those have been my friends since junior high school, all through high school. Those, those are my friends. I'm not going to stop hanging out with my friends. I love my friends. Oh, yeah? Well, you're going to have to choose. You want your friends or do you want me? That's a mixed up marriage. Moral and doctrinal principles. Our children should only marry someone who holds to the same doctrinal beliefs. The other one in the marriage says, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Let's not make that big of a deal over the hair issue. I know we're from old style Pentecost, but there's a new Pentecost coming up. Look around at the church landscape. It's okay. You don't have to be so hardcore on these things. I mean, we don't have to, you know, I mean, speaking in tongues, it's okay. If, you know, if they've accepted the Lord and they've been baptized in Jesus' name, and if they have stammering lips, but they don't have to actually speak a language out of their mouth, as long as they have some type of stammering lips and their hands are shaking, they got the Holy Ghost. And the other one is saying, absolutely not. There needs to be clear, audible, other tongues coming out of that person as evidence of the Holy Ghost. That's a mixed up marriage. You don't want someone that's weaker than you. Your marriage isn't going to bring them up. They're going to bring you down. You've got to be strong in doctrine. You've got to be strong in the Holy Ghost. That is a mixed up marriage that you, if you're dating someone like that and you think you're going to change them, run. I promise you, God will give you someone that you can agree with. And what I would say is that if you ever date someone that has higher values and perhaps stronger convictions, climb up to them. There's nothing wrong if here's the line. There's nothing wrong with being over here. Don't let the spirit of the world and even sometimes the spirit of critical church get in and say, well, my God, you got to do all that. Well, I'd rather be way over here knowing that when the trumpet sounds and the rapture happens, I'm going to heaven than right here saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Don't date somebody doing this number. They don't know if they want to be in the church or they're going to get out of the church. In the church out of the church you don't know when they come to church on Sunday they look Pentecostal when they go wherever to the restaurant on Friday you don't know if they're in church or not find somebody that's in the church the mixed up marriage is a mixture of opposing values and beliefs and has the potential for tension criticism and power struggles when basic values are in conflict the partners have great difficulty developing oneness of mind in the marriage, in the will, and in the emotions. God's design for the married couple is that they be like-minded, having the same desires and the same purposes. 1 Corinthians 1, <clears throat> 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. If that's true in the church, how much more should that be true in a marriage? And, and so, so when we're talking about casual friendship, right before you move into the second, which would be a deeper friendship, you're, you're getting closer now. You're young adult age. This is not even teenage year. You're young adult age. You're, you're reaching that point where you could get married. If, if you don't have the same mind and you're divided over issues and you can't have the same judgment on certain things, that's a strong indication that that's probably not a good relationship right there. You're with me. Next is deeper friendship. Deeper friendship <clears throat> is a relationship where the two of you have decided to date each other exclusively and to not date anyone else. This does not mean that you become exclusive, but rather that you should be inclusive. What I'm saying is, once you start dating that person and you think, this is the one, whatever you do, please don't isolate yourself as a couple. So once you start dating, it's like you drop all your other friends. Don't drop all your other friends. You need other friends in your life. 
I know when those electrical shocks are going through you. All you, but I want to be with them every morning. Oh, I love you. It's nighttime. Uh, school's been great. Uh, it was rough. The t I did terrible on the test. Yeah, but I went by the coffee shop. Great coffee. Yeah, yeah, you're going to go check this coffee shop out. Oh, I love you. Mark. What color are her eyes? Keep preaching. Pastor. Oh, good morning. I missed you so much in my sleep. Good to talk to you again this morning. <laughs> I'm having fun with you, Mark. You're not good. They're going to remind you of this stuff forever. I'll, get, I'll pick on another one. We'll, we'll shift it. We'll deflect in just a minute. We'll shift it. The relationship, this is deeper friendship. Two of you are dating now. You've made a choice. You're not interested in anybody else. It's the two of you. <clears throat> the relationship is not so much about the two of you as it is about the way both of you relate to God and to the church. Critically important. So, <clears throat> what you should know, three types of bonding are taking place. An emotional bond, a physical bond, and a spiritual bond. Somebody, somebody share with me what order that should be in. Did I read it in the right order? Here's what I said, Eric. I said emotional bond, physical bond, spiritual bond. What's the right order? Okay, spiritual. Why? Okay, good. I'm going to put God first, so spiritual bond. Good. Then the other two were emotional and physical. Emotional second, physical third. Okay, got another question for you. Ready? When I say physical bond, and you guys can answer, when I say physical bond, you know what I'm talking about. We all know what we're talking about. What is that exclusively, exclusively confined to? Hmm? Marriage. Marriage. What that means is when you're dating someone, okay, so here's what's going to happen. Here's, you ready? Unless something is just like totally messed up with you and there's something weird in, going on inside of you. When you like her and you're older and she's pretty and you all of a sudden have this emotional bond. There's something inside of you, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously. You don't even know. It's just your feelings. You're wanting to go, I don't even want to hold her hand. Because there's something inside of you that says, I want to physically express my love to you. Nothing wrong with that. Like God created that, and it's absolutely incredible. Within the confines of right timing, and, and ultimately physical expression is is related to, to marriage, exclusive for marriage. So, so then the question is asked, okay, well then, Brother McGonagall, you know, so it's that, it's, that, it's that $1 million question that every youth group and every generation asks, well then how far is too far? So if I think that I'm going to marry her, I think I'm going to marry him, how far is too far? Where's the line? What color were her eyes? I know, okay, so you want an answer. That thought process is the wrong thought process. You with me? If we're already thinking in terms of how far is too far and where's the line, your mind is being driven by the flesh, and the flesh is saying, let me do as much as I can without sinning. That inside the heart has already moved toward a sinful situation. So a better question is, if I create any type of feeling inside of my heart that I cannot fulfill in a godly way, 
I need to veer away from that and not put myself in that situation where I would compromise my godly purity and my godly character and I'm not going to stimulate anything inside of me. I'm not going to awaken love before it's the right time so that I would have to violate the boundaries of God and, and fulfill that temptation in an ungodly way. Besides, that's somebody's daughter. And if that's my daughter, can I get some help, Brother Roy? You with me? So, Eric, hey, well, hold on, time out, time out. Eric, great job. You were right. You were right. Spiritual, emotional, physical. Just, just a couple, just a couple, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. My wife's watching online and she heard what I was saying a minute ago. I covered my ground, Brother C. I covered my ground, Brother C. Ah, she just texted me. Here's the deal. So, so years, of, years of pastoral experience, man, this, this, this stuff happens. This stuff happens. Be real careful in the emotional bonding. Here's what I would say, dads, <clears throat> affirm, 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 and then when you think you've affirmed enough, affirm more your daughter. Affirm her beauty, affirm her holiness, affirm her personality, affirm her intellect, her, the way she carries herself, because, because even when there is an active father in that young lady's life that has validated and affirmed that young lady, she still needs, it takes, I think it was Gary Smalley that said this, it takes five years in a marriage with a healthy young adult who steps into that marriage, five years before she starts feeling truly secure with the validation and affirmation of her husband. Even if she got that in her home. If the young woman did not, then it takes at least 12 years because she's running below empty. Or if it was a bank account, her emotional needs and affirmation and validation are operating in the red. But when you've lived your life, all your life in the red, I mean, you just learn how to normalize red. I mean, when you grew up poor, you didn't know you were poor. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Some of us, were, we didn't know we were poor. We were just poor. You just learn, you normalize poor. You didn't know what that was. You just lived life. The same thing is true emotionally. And so now all of a sudden, this young woman who gets married, this is, listen to me, I'm giving you some good stuff here. Okay, so if it's not comfortable, moms, critically important for you to get with your boys and teach them how to communicate back to you and say, Mom, I love you. Because if they don't learn to say, Mom, I love you, Mom, I love you, Mom, I love you, then when they get married, they're not going to know how to say to their wife, I love you. And that young woman in a healthy home needs five years of affirmation. In a dysfunctional home, 12 years. Guys, you have have to be the initiator if it's hard for you to say I love you learn to say I love you and mean it and look at them in the eyes and say it I don't know how I don't know how I can nail this anymore nail this down anymore this is what I've seen I've seen people have an emotional bond too quickly and that bond is like a weld an arc weld perfect Test it, it's solid. Problem is, it's solid the wrong way. And no matter amount of counsel, you can't break the weld. Because they did not move along like they should have and listen to outside voices incrementally along the way. You working with me? So, I'm going to close with this. The third is, and he gives us a third stage, third step to developing Galarishim. Engagement with integrity is when you're sure that this is the person you're going to marry. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry him. You have the blessing of all God's authority in your life to become engaged. That means, what, the, what does that mean? When you say that, Brother McLaughlin, what's that? Used to, the old timers know exactly what that means. 
this, we are reaching a point in the church where we need to re define it, define it, define it, define it. We don't even know what this means anymore. What that means is your mom and dad, her mom and dad, and both pastors need to put their blessing on it. If that's not there, that's not safe grounds for a marriage. Just not safe grounds for a marriage. So, you don't even want to get engaged if you don't have all those blessings. And let me just say it this. It's like, I think it was, he, he, was, he was a pastor. He was talking to some marriages and he said, it's always better to break an engagement than it is to break a marriage. So even if you're engaged and something goes wrong, don't feel like you've got to force it to happen. It's always better to break the engagement than it is to break the marriage. If there are major red flags, better to back out. So I'm going to fly through the character criteria of a prospective date. So you're saying, I want to date somebody. Here's what you need to ask. Does my prospective date demonstrate wisdom and discernment? Do they have a heart for what's best for me, or are they thinking of what's best for them? Do they possess a sensitive conscience in regard to right and wrong? Will they refuse to use me or others for personal gain or satisfaction? Do they have the approval of the significant people in my life? Do they have a reputation for keeping commitments when they make a commitment? Do they display follow-through in meeting obligations? Do they show respect toward authority? Do they have a positive outlook on life or are they always negative? Do they exercise discipline and self-control, and I would add, in all matters of life? Do they manage money well? Because the way they handle money will tell you a lot about their life. Do they interact courteously with others? So, so look, I don't know who it was, I don't know what it was, but a bunch of the guys and a bunch of the girls were somewhere, and I think one of the guys just, like all the girls were there, and one of the guys just spit right in front of all the girls. Like, cleared their throat and spit in front of the girls. And one of the girls was like, that's so disrespectful and rude. The guys didn't even get it. They laughed about it. They thought it was funny. Guys, that's not funny. When you're around girls, respect them. Please, swallow that spit before you spit in front of them. Do whatever you need to do, but show them kindness and respect. Oh, that's good old-fashioned teaching. <laughs> little, little innuendos that will come out of your mouth, mix, all that, just... Please learn good old-fashioned, decent manners that treat that young lady with total respect. Are they courteous when they interact with others? Do they have an active personal Bible study and prayer life? So you can stand with me. I'm going to share with you some dating guidelines based on the pursuit of purity. So... If you're considering dating or if you're in the middle of dating you haven't done this yet here's some considerations mom and dad um, you know if you want to take some of these kind of as a takeaway and and you can integrate these in your children's life is this probably after high school so you're you're young adult at this point <clears throat> you're dating someone maybe maybe in that second step it's a deeper relationship. Establish your convictions for dating. Do this with your parents. Write them down and live by them. Because oftentimes, well, what time am I supposed to be home? What time is curfew? What are my boundaries? What are all these things? Oftentimes, if you're a young adult, you've kind of thought some of these things through. Here's what I've learned. Through the years, I've challenged people because they'll ask me, well, pastor, you know, my parents think this, and, and here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? 
Well, I put the ball back in their court, and I asked them, I said, you know what, here's what I'd like you to do. Why don't you write down a list of, of dating guidelines that you want to develop as your personal convictions and your personal boundaries, and then bring them back to me, and then we can just, we can chat a little bit. We'll talk about them, and I'll give you some feedback. If they're good, I'll say, man, that's great. I'll, if, if it's not, I'll say, you might want to consider that one a little bit more. You know, here's a different angle to think about that one. So, so write those down. Don't write them down with your best friend. Yeah, man, that right there. Stay out till 3 in the morning. Yeah, that's cool, dude. No, 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 that's not cool. <clears throat> Share your convictions with others. That means whoever, whoever you're dating. Good idea to write these things down even before you start dating. And then allow your date to hold you accountable to abide by them. Establish friendships and remember the three essential relationships when you're entering dating. So here are the three relationships. The two of you are a couple. That's relationship one. As a couple, you're relating to God. And as a couple, you're relating to the church. So when you decide to date someone, you literally enter into three relationships. One another, God, the church. It is important how the church thinks about your dating it really is. You need to be responsible for your reputation. Proverbs 22, 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, loving favor rather than silver or gold. Select good friends who share your moral convictions. Stay away from activities or people that will compromise your convictions. Refuse to go into your date's bedroom, house, or apartment without the presence of others. Avoid dates who gossip about others because they will soon be gossiping about you. Guard the reputation of those whom you date. Practice saying no to others so that you can say yes to God because you don't want to get robbed in your dating relationship that when you're wanting God to say yes to you, God has to say no to you because you didn't say no to other people. You're with me. Galatians 1 and 10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. And maybe one more I would throw on there. Be careful how quickly and how much you post on social media. The whole world gets involved in your relationship. I mean, it's like, People literally, depending on how many followers you have and how many shares, thousands of people can be involved in your relationship and you don't even know it. And it's cool when, when the electricity's running through you. But when the electricity's gone and you look at all those pictures you put out there and all the opinions and all the thoughts that everybody has, you got to process all of that and you're going, oh man, how do I bail out of this? Like, how do I pull all these pictures off? And I'm going to get, I'm going to spend hours explaining what happened. Just be wise in what you do. I mean, I know we're in the social media. It's cool. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable to be able to look at pictures and celebrate with people. It's cool. It's fun. But just be careful how much. So you don't create a situation where, you know, it's like, oh, every, every waking moment I spend thinking of you. I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I'm only 12. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you break up. Well, dude, in public, in front of God and everybody, you want to marry that person. Then you broke up with her. Now you jumped into this and you're going to do all that again on social media? So we're going to... Pentecostal soap opera. Who needs TV? <laughs> Just do everything in moderation. Just be balanced. Protect them. Protect the person you date. Let's pray together. God, purity in marriages, purity in dating. This issue of purity runs so far and wide, deep and high. Pray, God, that you would give us wisdom and understanding in everything that we do. I ask you, God of heaven, to lead our young adults and our youth. Let them pursue purity. 
before they pursue dating. And as they're pursuing purity, let the one that they're destined to marry be pursuing purity. And let them meet by pursuing purity, holiness, and righteousness. And in that pursuit of you, Lord, bring them together. Bring them together in such a beautiful way. And I pray, God, that as you bring them together, it would be such a powerful couple for you. A powerful couple that will sacrifice themselves to do your will. To be a shining example of righteousness and holiness in pursuing the will of God. That the church can say amen to it. That all of heaven can say amen to it. That the parents can say amen to it. Pastors can say amen to it. That the future can say amen to it. Let it be right, Lord. Let it be holy. Let it be pure. If you want to step out and make a commitment to the Lord, commitment to your future spouse, have you ever done that? Have you ever made a commitment and said, I will be faithful, I will be true, I will be holy? Thank you all so much for listening to the Upper Room Podcast. If you want to stay connected with the church and the podcast, don't forget to visit our website at calvaryulis.org or follow us on all our social media platforms at Calvary Ulis. Have a great week, and we will see you next Tuesday for an all-new episode.